Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 94, Getting Aggressive with iPad. Hi, I'm Neil. One way of describing this podcast is that it's a weekly look into Apple. However, I think about the Above Avalon podcast in a slightly different way. We end up having a series of ongoing discussions about Apple. Some of those discussions last a few months, and I have a feeling some of these discussions will last more than a few years. In today's episode, two of our discussions will merge. Our ongoing discussion about the iPad will connect with our discussion about the Mac. Now, there's a lot to cover in this episode, so I want to be pretty careful in selecting exactly how we're going to approach this topic. It's going to focus on Apple's recent changes to iPad strategy. This past week over at AboveAvalon.com, I published an article titled, Apple is Pushing iPad Like Never Before. Now, I have been getting some comments and responses about that article, so I will keep those in mind, and I will try to mention some of that within this episode. The best place to begin is to look back at last week's announcements from Apple. I like to think of it as it was a spring refresh. We didn't get a product keynote. Instead, we got a series of press releases. While there wasn't one product that was able to stand on its own and support an entire keynote, I do think there were quite a few interesting surprises. Some people said, well, maybe this was more of a strategy update. I would agree with that. Although I do think things like the new Apple Watch bands are pretty intriguing. There was a lot of change with Apple Watch, but that's a whole nother topic. We saw a, you could call it a mid-cycle iPhone refresh with product red, iPhone 7, 7 Plus. But the changes with iPad really caught my attention. The last time we talked about the iPad in detail was back in episode 89, the iPad asterisk. This was in early February. Apple had just reported holiday sales, and the iPad looked really strange. Sales were quite weak. We took a closer look at the numbers and why I think there's a little bit more to the story. And we also went over my overall view of where the iPad was standing. Since recording that episode, quite a bit has changed with the iPad, and I want to dedicate most of this episode to talking about those changes. However, before we get to that point, I think we need to briefly look at the current iPad narrative, because I think it's very misleading. I get incoming questions from reporters, journalists, people from different tech sites. They want to know the same thing. Does the iPad have a future? Do tablets have a future. And what everyone's looking at is overall sales. Now, over at AboveAvalon.com, I included quite a bit of this data in various exhibits. When it comes to iPad, and I think this applies to any Apple product, I like looking at sales on a trailing 12-month basis. It's a very simple reason. It removes the seasonality. It removes those big holiday quarters. It smooths it out and you get to really see what's going on. But when you do that to iPad sales, things don't look pretty. You have a line that's going up. 
seeming like this is the next big thing, could be even bigger than the iPhone. It peaks 2013, early 2014, and then it goes back down. If we're thinking of a roller coaster, we had three years of it going up. We hit the crest, we hit the peak, and now we're seemingly in free fall. Now, according to, again, this is trailing 12 months. In the first quarter of 2014, iPad sales peaked at 74 million units. The last quarter, this past holiday quarter, annual sales are now at 43 million units. So overall, iPad sales have declined 42% in three years. That's not good. That's not pretty. And that's what's causing people to doubt the iPad. You're starting to see this discussion come up that, well, maybe the post-PC era, it's going to be something different. It doesn't seem like consumers are moving away from laptops and desktops and embracing tablets. What's going on here? When you then compare iPad sales to that of iPhone and Mac, I actually think the iPad looks even weaker. iPhone sales continue to go up. Right now, they seem to be peaking, but the trend is still up. Mac sales have been pretty stable. And then you have that iPad line looking like a roller coaster. This has drawn into question Apple's vision for iPad. People are starting to doubt the category. Now, we've seen a lot of theories put out there trying to explain what's going on here. Longer upgrade cycles, larger iPhones, inferior software, lack of professional apps, Apple doesn't have the proper vision, Apple doesn't have the proper storytelling. You can tell this is pretty negative out there. And so set within that narrative, we have Apple unveiling all of these changes. So I want to go over the changes, and then we're going to address what I think is really going on here. Because I think you need to look at iPad sales in a different way. Nearly all of these changes have occurred within the past year and a half. The most recent changes were unveiled just last week. The first change, I think this is the most obvious, is the introduction of the iPad Pro. One of the biggest criticisms that was facing the iPad over the past few years is that this is a consumption device. People buy iPads just to watch video. YouTube, Netflix. The implication here is that it's going to be very difficult for Apple to actually push this product category forward, to actually make it so that the iPad can get work done, that we can give additional value to this device. Well, if all we're doing is just watching video, apparently we want to use other devices. Maybe we want to get work done on our Macs instead. With the iPad Pro, Apple wants to change that narrative. The overall strategy with the Pro is for Apple to release higher-priced models offering additional functionality and capability. If this sounds a little bit familiar, we talked about some of this in episode 93, underpricing luxury. So on one end of the spectrum, Apple lowers entry-level pricing. On the other end, they increase pricing because they're adding additional functionality to the device. The iPad Pro fits that exactly. When it comes to the defining features of the iPad Pro line, we're talking about the 12.9-inch model and the 9.7-inch model, 
we have to look at the Apple Pencil and Smart Keyboard. Those two accessories are a very big deal. Apple looks at those two items as key factors in adding functionality and capability to the iPad Pro. Before Apple unveiled the 12.9-inch iPad Pro in late 2015, I was an iPad 2 user. It was the most popular device in the beginning. A lot of people were using it, and a lot of people weren't upgrading. They really liked the iPad 2. But when I upgraded to the iPad Pro, my entire experience with iPad changed. With iPad 2, I was going days and even weeks without using my iPad. When I upgraded to the iPad Pro, the device gained a critical spot in my daily workflow. I now use the iPad Pro every day. It has replaced paper and pencil. As part of Above Avalon, I'm always writing words and phrases, thoughts, so I'm constantly writing something. The iPad Pro and Apple Pencil are always there. Now, some of you may say, wait a second, that's a pretty high-priced alternative to paper and pencils. <laughs> you could go to Staples and get quite a bit of that for not too much money. Of course, the iPad Pro is starting to handle tasks that I used to give my MacBook. I use it for Slack, Twitter, email, web surfing, and of course, watching videos, looking at photos. In many ways, these are the same things that the original iPad was positioned to do. The point is the iPad Pro was a significant change versus those early iPad models. The iPad Pro plays a very big part in Apple's new iPad strategy. And we will talk shortly about Apple's new ad campaign for the iPad Pro. The second major strategy shift with iPad is management adding quite a bit of simplicity to the line. The iPad Air era is officially over at Apple. Apple took the iPad Air, gave it a few updates, changed the name to just iPad, lowered the price. So because the new 9.7-inch iPad is officially the iPad Air 2 successor, I think the overall iPad line is much simpler. I would go so far as to say the iPad line today contains the most simplicity in years. That iPad Air name, it lost all of its meaning last year when the iPad Pro 9.7-inch model was unveiled. The devices, they shared similar dimensions. They weighed the same. It didn't make sense to have a model called iPad Air. Basically, the Air was just referring to low price. That didn't quite make sense. So what Apple did last week is they reduced the iPad line by 20%. Used to be five models available for sale, now four. By adding so much simplicity to the iPad line, Apple is making the iPad buying equation that much easier. When you look at the iPad line last year, it was pretty confusing. Do you buy an iPad Pro, an iPad Air? What's the difference between an iPad Mini 4, an iPad Mini 2? It really seemed like Apple was using price as the differentiator between all of those models. The current iPad line is very different. What Apple is really doing is doubling down 
on the 9.7-inch iPad. That is the flagship iPad size. Now, of course, that screen size, it could change a little bit going forward. The screen versus bezel ratio could change. But the overall form factor with the 9.7-inch iPad, Apple's doubling down on that. So if you're thinking about buying an iPad, I think there's only two choices. It's either an iPad Pro or it's an iPad. For those who really want a larger iPad, that 12.9-inch, you can buy that. For those who really want a smaller iPad, you got the iPad mini. That large and small iPad, I don't think those are going to be the top sellers. Instead, it's going to be that middle size. The third major change, this is a big deal, pricing. Apple is getting very aggressive with iPad pricing. In some ways, I think we have become desensitized to this a little bit. Again, back to the last episode where we're talking about Apple underpricing luxury. We see what Apple's doing with Apple Watch pricing, with AirPods pricing. We can look at the original iPad unveiled in 2010, priced at $499. That was very competitive to other tablets in the marketplace. So here we have Apple lowering the entry-level price for the 9.7-inch iPad to $329. That's aggressive. It was $399. For schools, colleges, universities, special $299 pricing is available. Now, to put that into context, as recently as 12 months ago, the 9.7-inch iPad Air 2 went for $499. So we're talking almost $200 off in just a year. That's a sign that Apple is willing to forego some margin with these entry-level iPads. Again, go back to what we were talking about in terms of overall pricing strategy. Apple's likely making that up by selling iPad Pros, by selling Apple Pencil and smart keyboard accessories. So the goal for Apple is likely to balance out the overall margin picture. But what it entails is those entry-level 329, 299, 9.7-inch iPads, they don't contain a whole lot of margin. Now, up to last week, the iPad Mini had represented the entry-level iPad model when it came to pricing. But what Apple ended up doing is they removed the lowest price iPad mini model and they kept the iPad mini 4 price unchanged. It is no longer the lower priced model. What's going on there? It goes back to Apple doubling down on the 9.7 inch iPad form factor. They want that particular sized iPad to be more accessible, not the iPad mini. We are going to talk more about the iPad mini shortly, but it's pretty clear that that model is not going to be the primary sales driver going forward. Instead, the iPad mini will be available for those consumers who simply want an iPad with a smaller footprint. You're going to actually have to pay up a little bit if you want that particular size. The next change is clearer storytelling. We have Apple recently launching its largest iPad ad campaign to date. We have 10 ads. The most recent ones were just released yesterday. So this ad campaign is called Real Problems Answered. We have Apple showcasing real tweets. They are real. Depicting computing problems. So then what Apple does is they demonstrate how the iPad Pro 
offer solutions to those problems. Management, for the first time, is directly reaching out to PC users with these ads. They look at those users as potential iPad purchasers. I don't watch much scripted cable these days. My only show is really The Walking Dead. But I believe it was two weeks ago, I must have seen these iPad Pro ads 10 times within an hour and a half span on AMC. Walking Dead's one of the most popular shows on cable. If you're still advertising on cable, you're very likely paying for that ad space. The iPad Pro was everywhere. This is a major change. And when you take a look at the actual ad itself, I think they're funny. I like them. Are they the best Apple ads ever? I don't know if I would go that far. The problem with critiquing Apple ads, of course, is that with most of these ads, they're not targeting me, they're not targeting you. They're targeting people who don't really think much about the iPad. So you look at some of these ads, and they're about, well, you could get Microsoft Word on an iPad. Or an iPad doesn't weigh too much. Or an iPad Pro is indeed better than a laptop because of XYZ, because you could get LTE, better battery life. Again, for most of us, these aren't really surprising details. But for other people, for the hundreds of millions of people who are still using PCs, laptops, desktops, these ads could be one of the first things that actually makes them think about the iPad Pro. Maybe that should be my next computer when I'm ready for an upgrade. And of course, one of the more interesting observations about these ads is what they do to MacBook users. If I was really into the MacBook, I would be pretty nervous here. Because what Apple's doing with these ads is they're positioning iPad Pro as a better computer than laptops. By extension, that includes MacBooks. Of course, that's why I think almost everything Apple does with the iPad these days is in one way or another connected to the Mac. We're going to end today's episode with some words about the Mac. So those are the major iPad changes. iPad Pro, additional simplicity, aggressive pricing, clearer storytelling. Why is Apple doing all of this in 2017? Why now? What's the point? Aren't iPad sales going down? Shouldn't they have done this two years ago? This is where we need to look a little bit closer at iPad sales. Where we need to break apart that iPad narrative that's currently out in the tech press. The best way of doing this is to break apart iPad sales according to screen size. Once you do that, you start to see how reports of iPad's death have been greatly exaggerated. iPad sales have faced one major headwind in recent years. I think this particular item, it explains almost all of the iPad sales decline. I don't think it's inferior software. I don't think it's poor storytelling. I don't even think it's a longer upgrade cycle. The iPad's problem is called the iPad Mini. People just aren't buying smaller iPads as much these days. If we exclude 7.9-inch iPad Mini sales from overall iPad sales, the chart looks completely different. In Exhibit 3, over in this week's AboveAvalon.com article, I broke out 
9.7 inch and 12.9 inch iPad sales versus 7.9 inch iPad sales. It's very easy to see the trend. What's happened here is that the iPad mini's value proposition has been permanently reduced due to larger iPhones. Whenever we are talking about this permanent reduction in value, we bring up that word, peak. Apple has experienced peak iPad mini. This isn't a surprise. I actually published an article back in November 2015 called Peak iPad Mini, where I laid out the case why I don't think iPad mini sales will ever top those sales in late 2013. It's pretty clear that Peak iPad mini is real. When you compare Peak iPad mini sales to current iPad mini sales, the decline is 70%. That is very significant. According to my math, that type of decline represents the vast majority of the overall decline seen with overall iPad sales. People are buying fewer iPad minis. That is why the iPad category has looked so weak, according to sales. Recall our discussion about those poor iPad sales this past holiday quarter. When you take a look at sales according to screen size, It looks like smaller iPad sales, they were disastrous. And usually the holiday quarter is the best quarter for smaller iPads. Not this time around. Here are some other interesting facts that I think people will be surprised by. The iPad Air 2 is the best-selling iPad to date. I think most people would assume the iPad 2 was the best-seller. More than half the people who were buying an iPad Air 2 last year were new to iPad. That's pretty surprising. When you combine those two statistics, I actually think that's a pretty promising sign for the iPad business. When you then look at large screen iPad sales, they're relatively unchanged over the past four years. And in fact, when you look at this past holiday season, I think large screen iPad sales actually increased year over year. What drove it? The iPad Pro. I think people were certainly interested in getting those more capable iPad models. This explains why Apple is placing a bigger bet on that 9.7 inch model. That is clearly the most popular model in the iPad line. There's no point in taking the iPad mini and continuing to lower the price. Apple doesn't think that's going to boost sales. So if large screen iPads have shown so much resiliency over the past few years, why make all of these changes now? Why double down on the iPad in 2017? I think Apple is pushing the iPad like never before in order to solve its Mac dilemma. When it comes to the Mac, I think Apple has only two options. The first is doubling down on the Mac. The phrase doubling down can mean a lot of different things to different people. I keep it very simple and straightforward. If Apple's doubling down on the Mac, they are giving it additional resources and attention because they think the laptop and desktop form factors will retain value in the future. How would they actually do this? Well, you bring elements of mobile to the Mac. 
This is a topic from episode 80. Let's talk the new MacBook Pro. In this scenario, Apple would look to control more of the core technologies powering the Mac. We would have Apple bringing a version of iOS to the laptop and desktop form factors. I think this effort would take years to accomplish, significant amount of resources, but Apple would believe that the Mac still has a future. The second option is move beyond the Mac. So in this scenario, we would have Apple continue to issue updates, but they will become more sporadic. Apple would begin placing less and less attention on the Mac category. Instead, management would begin to look at other products. We would have a new breed of devices gain priority and resources within Apple. Those are the two options Apple has for the Mac. Notice how there wasn't an option three. There wasn't an option for Apple just to get rid of the Mac line. Stop selling Macs tomorrow. That's not a real option. The Mac's bringing in $23 billion of revenue per year. We have companies powered by Macs. Tens of millions of users rely on Macs to get work done every day. The Mac isn't going away. I actually think we will see continued Mac updates. But that would miss the point of what it means to move beyond the Mac. It all comes down to motivation. It comes down to vision. In that second scenario of moving beyond the Mac, those laptop and desktop form factors, they won't represent the future of technology. I was thinking about this last week a little bit. Let's say you're thinking a lot about the Mac. You dedicate months to researching where the Mac can go, all of the things Apple can bring to the category, how workflows can adjust to keep value with laptops and desktops. We can even talk about how certain mobile devices can interact with laptops and desktops. I think at the end of that period of thinking, you will find that there is a way forward for laptops and desktops. There would be a way forward for the Mac. However, there's a problem. Instead of there being some sort of Mac renaissance, I think it's almost impossible to look at a world where the Mac can retain value simply because there will be other devices that are making technology more personal. There will be other devices that can push the boundary in ways that laptops and desktops can't. We're not talking about one year from now, two years from now, or maybe even five years from now. But if you start thinking out more in the future, where technologies like augmented reality, I think that could really start to change the game when we're talking about large screens. In a way, when I'm sitting at my desk in front of the iMac, I'm already kind of in a weird type of reality. It feels like I'm out of the room that I'm sitting in and inside this little bubble. What if augmented reality is introduced that changes that dynamic? Instead of all these large screens in our life, we get more power and value from small screens in our life. The point isn't that a desktop would become irrelevant. It's that value would flow to a new breed of devices. And I think that's what ends up happening whenever you really stop to think about the Mac. It just doesn't represent the future in technology. So that leaves Apple management a difficult spot. 
Do you double down on it? Do you move beyond the Mac? My suspicion is that Apple is pushing larger screen iPads in 2017 because management is determined to move beyond the Mac. Apple thinks now is the time to raise awareness that the iPad is a legitimate PC alternative for hundreds of millions of customers. Now, a move away from the Mac, it would seem to go against much of what Apple management says in public. We have Tim Cook, Phil Schiller. They're very quick to mention how Apple's committed to the Mac long-term. I think Phil Schiller was out saying the laptop will be around for another 25 years. That's possible. But will it have as much value in our life in 25 years? I don't think it will. Even though management says they're committed to the Mac, look at some of these actions. Tim Cook, calling the iPad the clearest expression of Apple's vision of the future of personal computing. The new iPad Pro ad campaign, it elevates the iPad at the expense of Mac. That's why I think we're moving to a point where everything Apple does with the iPad, it is related to the Mac. We can look at aggressive iPad pricing. What Apple's doing here is they're positioning the iPad as a device for mass market consumption. But look at Mac pricing. It's the opposite. Apple thinks the Mac is more of a niche product. And I think Apple's right in that respect. What Apple ultimately wants to do is expand the sales gap between large screen iPads and Macs. If they are successful, I think it's going to change the iPad versus Mac narrative in the marketplace. It's going to end up giving Apple that much motivation to dedicate attention and resources to other products. Because as it stands now, things look a little questionable. That sales gap between large screen iPads and Macs, it peaked five years ago. If the Mac were to outsell the iPad, I think that would make Apple's goal in moving beyond the Mac that much more difficult. It would show that Apple has a serious problem on its hands with iPad. Apple would not be able to entice users away from laptops and desktops to iPads. I think Apple wants to avoid that outcome. Now, as it stands now, we have large screen iPad sales bouncing around 30 million units annually. Mac sales are around 19 million units. That means iPad sales are currently 60% higher than Mac. If Apple is successful in increasing those large screen iPad sales to, say, 40 million unit sales, that would mean that the iPad would outsell Mac by two times. This is where I think you start going down the path. If the iPad begins to really outsell the Mac, I think it's going to be almost like a snowball effect. Attention and resources, they're just going to flow to new product categories. We won't go into it too much in this episode, but I think a case can be made that it is much more important for Apple to introduce new Apple Watch bands than new Macs. I know that may seem a bit out there, (laughs) but I think a very good case can be made that's true. It all has to do with which devices in our lives gain value. I think the devices that are best positioned to capture data, those are the devices that are going to win. Capturing data via sensors, via cameras, 
That's why I'm so optimistic about the wearables category. That's why I think cars are a key battleground going forward. We will conclude today's episode with how Apple actually thinks they're going to be able to do this. How can you grow iPad sales in 2017? This may seem a bit obvious, but I think it's very true. Apple is confident in its current iPad line. They think the iPad Pro, a low-cost 9.7-inch model, and a continued smaller iPad mini form factor will be enough to return the iPad to sales growth. What they're going to do is two things. They're going to focus on getting existing iPad users to upgrade. According to my estimates, there are about 100 million people using older iPads. Talking iPad 1, 2, 3, 4, and an iPad mini. These are people who are still using iPads. It's not that someone bought an iPad to put it in their desk and it's collecting dust now. These are people who are still using their iPads for things. Apple thinks if they could lower the price of that entry-level 9.7-inch, if they can increase the storytelling associated with iPad, they're removing friction. They're removing all the barriers that prevented these people from upgrading. Apple is confident that an iPad 2 user trying out a new iPad Pro or even this new low-cost 9.7-inch iPad, they will see the difference and they would want to upgrade. The other group that Apple is targeting for iPad sales, PC users. This may seem like a controversial statement, but I really do think it's true. Apple looks at the iPad Pro line, which includes the Apple Pencil and Smart Keyboard, as a better solution for consumers than even a Mac. The iPad Pro is increasingly doing a great job at highlighting how Apple management is beginning to get motivated more by the iPad than the Mac. After listening to this episode, one would get the impression that there's going to be an iPad renaissance. We're going to see iPad sales begin to increase 30-40%. Not quite. Let's not put the iPad in a vacuum. I think the iPhone has likely reduced the iPad's long-term sales trajectory. Nothing has changed in that regard. I've been saying this for a while. I think when you look at some of those 100 million users relying on older iPads, some of them won't upgrade to a new iPad. Some of them will be fine with just larger iPhones. We should not ignore how it's still very difficult for tens of millions of people to move from a Mac to an iPad. Workflows cannot make the transition yet. That's a very valid concern for iPad. I also think that we need to see Apple come out with pushing iOS forward for iPad. We need to see iPad-specific software enhancements. Unlike other people, though, I think we're going to see that. When you take a look at announcements at previous WWDCs, I think this year's WWDC this coming June will include some iPad-specific solutions. While I do not subscribe to the idea that the iPad is suffering from lackluster software, where Apple is fundamentally thinking about iPad software in the wrong way, I don't agree with that. I do agree that there is room to push iPad software. There is room to push iOS, and Apple needs to do that. If they don't, the iPad and the hundreds of millions of people relying on an iPad will lose out. 
When we take a step back to put the iPad in its proper place with an Apple's line, a growing iPad business will make it that much easier for Apple to move beyond the Mac. Apple will be able to dedicate resources to a new breed of personal gadgets that are tasked to make technology more personal. In that scenario, the iPad has a pretty big role to play. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy this type of Apple analysis and you want more of it throughout the week where I discuss a number of different Apple topics, I think you would enjoy becoming an Above Avalon member. The cornerstone of membership is access to the exclusive Above Avalon daily email. Each day we talk about two to three stories. Topics include everything from strategy and business analysis, financial modeling and estimates, all the way to perspective and observations on news events, Apple competitors, earnings, keynotes. If it matters to Apple, we cover it in these daily emails. Each email is about 2,000 words, so we can go into detail on all of these topics. If you're interested in becoming an Above Avalon member, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com, then go to the membership page. Membership is $10 per month or $100 per year. Sign up is very easy. Just to give you a sample of some of the daily emails that were sent these past two weeks, last week one of the daily emails was dedicated to talking about Apple's new products. The next email was focused specifically on Apple's watch strategy. There were quite a few changes going on when you look at the Apple Watch band business. We talked about Apple acquiring workflow, Apple also repositioning iPad and education. We also talked about Apple and augmented reality. It seems like March was augmented reality month. We have the Financial Times, Bloomberg out with new stories about Apple working on AR glasses. What's that all about? I kind of went over what I think is really going on with those articles and Apple's broader AR strategy. We also talked about Facebook launching stories. I do think there's a connection here with Apple. We have social networks, or another way of saying it, we have curated versions of the web, trying to control our smartphone cameras. What does that mean for Apple? And what is Apple's social play? I don't think it's your traditional route. Instead, there is evidence of Apple building an identity network. And we also talked about the Samsung Galaxy S8 Keynote. For a full list of all the stories that we talk about in these exclusive daily emails, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and go to the daily emails page. That is where you can see the archive. All members have the option of joining the archive and also the Above Avalon team in Slack so you can communicate with other Above Avalon members. If you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a rating or review for the podcast in your favorite podcast player, I would greatly appreciate it, especially for those who are in iTunes, if you can just leave a quick rating or review. For those who are listening to this in Overcast, thank you. If you could recommend this episode. When you're on this episode, click the little I button, then press recommend. That definitely helps get the word of mouth out there. So with all of that said, thank you for listening. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.